And thus, let's open with prayer. This morning, can we um, place ourselves in a posture of worship just to receive what God's doing, but also just to surrender what we might have this morning? Let's just take this time to be intentional with our Father. God, we quiet our hearts and we quiet our minds before you. God, we confess that we need you. Father, would you speak to us this morning? Would you move in our midst? Would you bring healing, God? Would we come to you today in boldness and in confidence, not waiting to come to you, but Lord, just running to you just as we are, knowing that you've covered us. God, that your grace is more than enough for us. Father, we depend on you, not only this morning, but in our day-to-day. Come and speak to us, Father.
Son and Holy Spirit, blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. The Almighty, merciful Lord, grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Thank you. 
to sing with them. It's not so good when I'm by myself, but I'm just so thankful that we can come together and worship the Lord. The Lord be with you. Let us pray now together the collect. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weakness and mercifully give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not and for our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We have some children coming forward for Sunday school. Come on, Will. Any other kids want to go up for Sunday school? I'll pray for you. Lord, we're so thankful that we have the Sunday school going again, and we thank you for these kids. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them, that this time, Lord, be such a precious time for them, Lord. We'll come to know you more and more in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, go have fun. reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 23. And we'll say it responsively by the half verse. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. 
morning. Second reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, starting at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has moved both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is, the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. For through him you both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer stranger and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Mark, chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we're thankful that we could come before you today. We pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would come down as a refreshing wind to help those who are so hot. And Lord, we pray that you would just bless this word, that you pour out your anointing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I was talking to Mikla outside, and she's not so comfortable in this nice, warm, muggy weather. But I'm glad you guys are here. Is it better than Maryland? <laughs> We're so glad to have Emma and Ellie and their two friends, Hannah and Emma, out from... Uh, not Baltimore. What's the town that it's a 
Bel Air, Bel Air, Maryland, Bishop Northwood's church. And so they're out here visiting for the little bit of summer vacation, and we're glad you're here. And it's a lot hotter and more humid there, I think. At least it was when I was there. So today's lessons are interesting. It's, it's all about the shepherds, right? We had the chance. We could have gone back to David, but we've been talking about David for the last three weeks and since he was the shepherd and wrote the Lord, uh, uh, Psalm 23. We'll talk, wind up talking about him a little bit anyway. But these messages are so powerful because the picture of the shepherd has always been throughout the Old Testament and uh, in the New Testament. Now, the Lord has always used that to talk about the leadership of the nation of Israel. Uh, and when he has a problem with the shepherds, which we heard in Jeremiah, he's talking about the leaders of Israel, not the actual shepherds out there taking care of the sheep. He's not, I don't think he's too worried about them. <laughs> but he's worried about the leaders and the problems that they have. And so this message has always been very meaningful for those of us who are in ministry in terms of you know, the, the ordained ministry because we're called shepherds. We're supposed to shepherd the flock. And so they've had a lot of, uh, a lot of meaning for me. Years ago... actually a long time ago, (laughs) I was trying to discern if I was called to be a minister, a pastor. Uh, Growing up in the Baptist church, you were pastors. Uh, In the uh, charismatic church, you know, if you want to be a pastor. And I didn't didn't know for sure. I know that God had a calling on my life. Uh, I didn't quite know what that entailed. Uh, But there were a couple things, a couple times that the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And I when you look back on it, it's like very clear what he was, what he was trying to say and, what, and that there was a call in my life. Uh, the first time, uh, uh, there are some of you who are, remember this. In 1988, when I moved out, I joined this beautiful little church called Stone Mountain Church. And they had great worship. They had this prophetic ministry, these exciting, challenging sermons from Pastor Adler and this brunette who sang in the choir. And I really liked this brunette. She really caught my eye. And so by Christmas time, her dad had said, I don't let my daughters date. You need to go pray and find out if you're supposed to marry her or not. And I'm thinking, just got here. This is getting serious. This escalated very quickly. And so I did. I went home and I fasted and prayed for three days back in Texas. Um, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly on the last day. And he asked me a question. And I it is probably the same for everybody here. Whenever the Lord speaks to you, there's always the words that he says, which has a surface meaning, but there's all these deeper meanings in there. And when he asked me this question, I knew that it meant a lot more than just whether I should marry Mia or not. And his question was, are you willing to marry into this family? And I thought, is this like the mob? Am I marrying into something I don't know about? Really, I stopped. And I remember this scripture says to count the cost. And I thought about it for a moment. Because I knew that it was more than just Pastor Randy and his, you know, intimidating presence. There was this ministry call that was tied to it. And I knew that there was a lot of, there was, there was going to be a lot to tied with that. And so I said yes, obviously. And years later we got married and things were great. And then I had the opportunity to stay in the Marine Corps and go somewhere else or resign my commission and stay here. And so I prayed about it. And it was it was a hard call. There were things I liked about flying helicopters in the Marine Corps. I, I enjoyed some of it. I'd had some really good experiences, uh, and there were some experiences that were really scary. Uh, but I prayed about it, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, I want you to learn everything you can from Bishop Kessler. And I thought, that's a funny thing, because I knew he was kind of an expert in church government, and I had started the seminary. 
And I really took that word to mean, I want you to, this is, you know, just stay here. And, and it was more than just that. But that was one thing when the Lord kind of, you know, spoke to me about it, to stay here and be a part of it, finish the seminary and learn everything you can. And so when you look back on it, you're like, okay, well, he's obviously calling to the ministry. But that was like in 95. It wasn't until 2004 that the Lord finally brought this uh, uh, call to action where he, he, where he actually acted on it and he said, okay, now I'm going to ordain you to the priesthood. I mean, I skipped right over the diaconate. Bishop Adler was like, now the Lord says, I'm going to call you straight to the priesthood. And within the priesthood, you have the order of the diaconate. But um, <clears throat> I just thought maybe, maybe I'll be a deacon, you know. But anyway, the Lord called me to the priesthood. And I was ordained. And it's during that ceremony. And, and for those who were here, remember, it was very powerful. And the weight, the burden of that uh, call became very clear in a way that I hadn't experienced before. There's a responsibility. There's more to this than just wearing the collar. I mean, you can't even drive anywhere with a collar without thinking, oh, my gosh, everybody's watching me. I can't cut them off or yell at them. No cussing or doing anything else. I better watch what I'm doing. (laughs) One time I was actually mad at somebody ahead of me, and I thought, no, I'm not going to yell at them. It could be my grandmother. And I pulled around, and it was Papu's, uh, it was Grandma Adler. (laughs) And I thought, Glad I didn't say anything. <laughs> so anyway, you know, there's more to being the collar than just, you know, being someone to see. I mean, that is something, but there's this responsibility to feed the flock. And there's, there's, a, there's some scriptures that were very, um, they were like warnings, if you will. In, in Hebrews 5, verse 4, it says, no man, he was talking about those who were called to the priesthood. And it was talking about the high priest, but it was talking about the whole concept of the priesthood. And he says, no man takes this honor to himself, but he is called by God. I said, this is not me just trying to decide I want to do this. This is a calling that God has for me. And then James 3, 1 and 2, it says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect or mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. It means I've got to watch what I say. I remember the first time I was, <laughs> the first time I preached up here, I was so scared. Bishop Adler was sitting back there, <laughs> and he was very particular about who he let preach from this pulpit. This was his church, and he took it, that responsibility very serious. <clears throat> and I remember there was a couple sermons I did not do so well. I'm hoping that I can do better today. It's something about this responsibility to teach and to feed the flock. Um, I'm going to skip over here. In John chapter 21, you remember when Jesus uh, had come back from the dead and he had ministered and talked to the disciples multiple times and they're still sorting through things. This is before he's ascended. It's before Pentecost. And Peter is still struggling. Remember, he, he denied the Lord three times. And the implication in a couple of different scriptures is that he still felt like maybe he was disqualified to be a part of the apostles because of what he did. You, know, you can imagine if you deny the Lord, you know, whenever the angel came back and says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Like, don't let Peter think he's not coming also. This is, this is for him too. And then here in this case, they're trying to figure out what to do. They're waiting. They don't quite know what, you know, wait here in Jerusalem to a power. You don't, they don't know what that means. And so Peter decides, I'm going fishing. And so 
And well, let's go fishing. So they go out fishing, and they have a terrible time. They don't catch hardly anything. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears on the beach, and they don't know it's him right away. They just see somebody said, hey, my children, do you have any fish? You know, I want some, like he wants breakfast, right? He's hungry. Never had fish for breakfast. Um, but he wants some fish. And so they said, no, we've caught nothing all night. And he said, well, cast your nets on the other side. Sound familiar? Well, they didn't get it yet until the nets were full. And John goes, it's the Lord. And Peter, all of a sudden, light bulb goes off, throws off his outer garments, dumps in the water, and swims ashore. So he's still struggling with this acceptance back. You know, there's some things he's still fighting through. So they pull the fish ashore, and they have breakfast. And then it says, let me read this to you here, John 21, beginning in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times. In answer to the three denials, Peter got a chance to get it right. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And his pastoral admonition, his admonition for Peter to be the pastor, to be the shepherd, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, is a responsibility to teach the truth, to teach the scriptures, to teach what the Bible says. And that responsibility just weighs on us so much. In Ezekiel, you know, Jeremiah mentions that it has a problem with his uh, shepherds and, he's, and he's, uh, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so he's going to replace them and to get a heavier judgment. And then in Ezekiel 34, it's subtitled, The Irresponsible Shepherds. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Again and again, feed my sheep. It's a clear message. In the gospel today, Jesus is coming ashore. He's trying to get away to get some rest. He's already sent the disciples out two by two, and we've been talking about that. And they come back to, um, he says, let's get on the boat and go someplace to a deserted place. But the people see him, and they run. He takes the boat, they run to meet him there. And there's a crowd when he gets off the boat. And he has such compassion on them. And he goes, they're like sheep with no shepherd. What does he do? He began to teach them. Again, he's teaching them. He's giving them the word, the truth. What is the truth? In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Now the Spirit excessively says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. This is a warning that Paul is giving to Timothy. You've got to know that this is what's going on. In another place, at the end of Acts, he says, Your eyes aren't going to see me anymore, but just know that I, uh, I am innocent of your blood because I've never stopped telling you the truth. And you've got to know the wolves are going to come in and try to divide the flock. 
you guys have got to be careful. And as pastors, we're watching for these lies that are coming in, for the things that can divide, the things that can deceive you. I don't believe that as born-again Christians we can become possessed by demonic spirits. But I think we can sure be lied to. We can be oppressed. We can be tricked. So we stand against those demonic spirits, those lies that are out there. And we stand against them and combat them by knowing the word of God, by standing firm, by encouraging each other, not trying to do things on your own. And these demonic spirits, these uh, doctrines of demons, they're out there in the world today, and we hear about them all the time. And most of the time, I know for, for my family, we were very careful. We kept our kids in uh, Christian schools because we didn't want them exposed to this other worldview that was anti-Christian that we saw in so many of the public schools. And it was a fight. Some of my kids were uh, resisted heartily. Um, I'll, I'll throw Kimberly under the bus. She... She got selected for the dance team at Capitol Valley High, which is a, she was a dancer. She loved to do this stuff. And she got, and I was like, Mia, why did you let her try out for that? She's not going to Capitol Valley High. And she was heartbroken. And I went to the, the, the teacher at the first meeting, and I told him, she's not going here. Sorry. You know, and there were people who, got, who missed because Kimberly made it. And Kimberly was so upset. And it wasn't just a few months later, and she, she, she got it, right? She goes, no, I, I like it here at CVCS. This was her first year. But it was just, it was always a battle because they wanted to go to these other schools. And we're like, no, we've got to protect you. Well, in a similar way, the, uh, we see a lot of things that are going on out there that are being taught in our schools that's completely contrary to the Word of God. It's completely contrary to truth. One of the areas... Um, I could go on and on about some of the areas. I've talked to my boys about some of them. You know, uh, this big hubbaloo right now, hullabaloo, is that the word? Against critical race theory, it's a valid thing to stand against because it is not Christian. And I don't, I don't want to go into it yet. I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we're looking into it. We're reading about it. And it's a lot of stuff that's contrary to the foundational, fundamental truths that we believe in the Christian faith. Unfortunately, in a lot of America, that was still, some of those fundamental truths were still there in the critical race theory. They're pushing against it hard. And we need to know that it, you need to stand against it. You need to educate yourself on it. And we'll, we'll talk about it more here, uh, but not today. Uh, there's too much. <laughs> Let me sum up. Um, in Ephesians, well, let, let me go up here first. There's a book that we're reading that I, um, matter of fact, I've got it up here. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind. And it's uh, Greg Lukanoff and Jonathan Haidt, I guess. I don't know if they're Christian or not. They didn't write this as a Christian book. But it's a book they saw things that were very much um, against the foundational truths that they had believed in in their fields. And they were psychologists. Or, and they, they saw some things that were really bad. And so we've been talking about it. And Father Lewis uh, gave me this book, and he said, read the book. You've got to read the book. Because we're trying to equip ourselves to stand against the lies that are out there. And so I'm going to talk about just three fundamental, this is in the very beginning of the book, these three fundamental untruths, if you will. These are things that are being taught in our schools and, you know, started at the college level, but it's even coming down even further down, which you see people fighting against them. But these three untruths are just 
They're insidious. And when you hear them, you're like, people actually teach that? And they do. They're teaching these things. The first untruth is the untruth of fragility. Summarized in, whatever doesn't kill me makes me weaker. You think, that doesn't sound right. They're teaching this. They're teaching that you're fragile, that if somebody says something that hurts your feelings or that's against you, then that's like violence. Words are violence. It's a part of this cancel culture that they're using this because people are weak. And, and that's, they don't want anything that's contrary to what they believe. And in the colleges, they're pushing back against this. This whole concept of what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Well, we know that the scripture says opposite. You remember what James says? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Part of the, trial, part of the purpose of trials is to strengthen you, to make you stronger. The second untruth, the untruth of emotional reasoning. Always trust your feelings. That doesn't sound like what we hear in the Bible, and it's true. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Trust in your own emotions, your own feelings, is a foolish thing to do because your feelings fluctuate from day to day. Sin, you know, there's a lot of examples I could give, but there's feelings when you feel a certain way and you know it doesn't match up with reality. And in your life experiences, you know that. If you're married, you know that sometimes you don't feel a certain way, but it doesn't match up with reality. I, my kids were talking about this the other day, about falling in love. Sorry. Falling in love, falling out of love. No, you choose to love. You decide to love. Feelings will come and go. There's going to be some days. There was a couple days, I think, that me and I, that I didn't look at Mia that way, but only a couple. But there's times when things go hard, when you're going through stuff and you just don't feel it. You don't trust feelings. You base your life on what's true. What's the reality? You don't always trust your feelings. The third one. The untruth of us versus them. Life is a battle between good people and evil people. And you see this played out in the media all the time. If you're this political party, you're evil. No, you might be wrong, but it doesn't mean you're evil. Our battle is not against evil people. In Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's who we wrestle against. The weapons of our warfare are mighty for pulling down those, those strongholds. That's the, the weapons that we have, and that's the weapons that we learn here. We learn the scripture. We say the scripture. We memorize it. We sing the scripture. Songs are so powerful. I was a little not feeling it this morning when I got here. I was a little nervous. And we started singing this song. What's my confidence in? His faithfulness. Oh, yeah. My confidence is not in my ability to weave a story and to make it sound great and make you guys feel good. My confidence is in the faithfulness of the Lord 
that he, through his Holy Spirit, is speaking to you. That was such a good word. That's a weapon of our warfare, singing praise songs. I was, I was having a little bit of a hard time also because I couldn't hear you guys sing. I almost turned around and said, come on. But then I backed up a little bit and realized it was just because of the speakers. <laughs> then I could hear you sing. That's something that encourages me greatly when everybody joins in and we're all singing together. It's not a concert. As good as Kristen is, it's not a concert. She's leading us in worshiping the Lord. That's how you fight against the weapons of the enemy, those feelings that you feel. Um, there's a, a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and I've been sharing it at the uh, 730 service a couple times the last couple weeks. And it's about the line between good and evil. And if you remember, he was in uh, the Gulag Archipelago. This is a quote from that. And he was a, a Russian dissident in the communist Russia. They locked him up in the Gulag, and he wrote this. And he was very insightful. The Lord really used him. And he says, The line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts inside us. It oscillates with the years. And even within, within hearts, overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. In this book here, they talk about the good and the evil. And it says, don't look at the people as evil. You need to look at them with a little more nuance. You need to understand it. They're fighting a great battle. And they may be deceived about some things. But the battle is not against them. You need to stand strong. And you need to know what's right. You need to be able to argue against them. You, know, you need to understand what they're talking. I would encourage you to read this book. It's not hard. Um, there's other books out there. Uh, you know, I know we've been listening to uh, Jordan Peterson. and I don't know if you know of uh, Vadi Bakum. And he talks a lot about the racism that's out there. There's a new religion out there called anti-racism. And uh, Vadi Bakum is a, a Southern Baptist preacher. And he's just released a new book called Fault Lines. And I've read the first half of it. And uh, almost couldn't put it down. It's just so powerful. He's a black man that grew up in L.A., very difficult. They moved to Texas. He, he was a, a sports star. The Lord really saved him through a lot of difficult upbringing. And so he's, he got into college, got a bachelor's, a master's, got his doctorate. He's uh, studied psychology. He's just a very, very, very sharp guy who's really worked hard. And the Lord has given him a real insight to the racism arguments that are out there. And anti-racism, he, put, he makes a very compelling point that it's, it's like a false religion, but there is no redemption. That's why it's so dangerous. Yeah, racism's wrong. We know that. We need to fight against it. That's okay. But don't buy into a lot of the lies the way the enemy does it. <coughs> the normal, uh, uh, the, cult, the things you're reading out there, you've got to be careful what you're reading. There was a big push to pastors to put hashtag BLM. There's problems with that. And we know that. When you look at it, any man with one eye and half sense can see that. But you've got to look at it, and you've got to have that discerning ear. The other thing for a pastor, one of the responsibilities, and it says this in Ephesians 4, and he says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying and building up of the body of Christ. The reason I share this stuff, the reason I point it out is 
that we're trying to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Every one of you out there are on a day-to-day basis coming across this kind of stuff. Now, if you're in a Christian school, maybe you don't see it so much, but you run into people all the time, friends. Christian has some friends that are in the midst of uh, going to college right now, and they're coming back with some stuff that's really wrong, and he's got a battle against that. So I have to equip him, so I've got to make sure he understands this stuff. You guys, and I say you guys, obviously me too, right? I have to be equipped. I have to be better at this. But the reason we're trying to train you and teach you this stuff and to expose you to this and to share the scriptures and to encourage you is because you're doing the work of the ministry. It's not just the pastors. Every one of you are doing the work of the ministry. And I'm really happy about the stuff that I see. And um, I just want to encourage you today. The scriptures are very good. The Lord does. He is our great shepherd. He gives us the example. And he is leading us, um, as he says in Psalm 23, besides still waters and green pastures, There's a lot of really good truth out there. And so don't be discouraged by what you see. Keep coming to church. Keep getting encouraged. Keep trusting in the Lord. That's one of the key things is we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand. Let us continue with the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who is spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. And maybe one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you, that your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons, that they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacraments. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world, justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. May find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. They may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. Shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. Who come to share in your heavenly kingdom.
Lord, hear the prayers of thy people, and what we've asked faithfully grant that we may obtain effectually to the glory of thy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Share the peace with your neighbor. Alley, John's hiding. We sent a deacon away and a deacon showed up, so it's nice for you guys to show up. Uh, anyway, it is kind of warm today, but we're glad you guys are here. There's still a lot of traveling. Uh, Bishop Kessler remained up in Sacramento with uh, Justin and his family up there, but we'll be back. And then Jesse and Haley made it back to Connecticut. What a battle that was. But they got there and they're there, and uh, we'll be back next week. And then a lot of other folks are traveling, so, you know. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> uh, a couple of announcements. One is our home group uh, meets on a regular basis. Sam Mercer's is on Sunday at 5 p.m. Jesse, who won't be here this week because he's out of town with family, his is on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. That's uh, when you can meet if you'd like to when he returns. And Eric is uh, Eric Reed's home group is at Wednesday as well. But his is at 6 p.m. And if you'd like to join one of those home groups, and I highly suggest that you do, uh, it's, it's great to connect at, with people at, at, at a very intimate, smaller uh, group level. Uh, contact the church. Contact Sam, Jesse, Eric. You can ask Father Ed. You can ask me. You can ask anyone. And we'll get you in, in hooked up with, uh, with the group. Uh, the Youth Retreat, which is coming up in just a few days, not too long from now. August 5th through the 7th, and that's in Big Bear. The cost is $50, and see Kristen Madison. I'm really excited for that youth retreat because uh, Kristen is really led by the Holy Spirit. She really loves hearing God and, and seeing what God's saying, and I know that she'll impart that to your kids. So just want to encourage you to send your kids to the youth retreat. And then lastly, thank you uh, for all everybody who showed up for the Word Day yesterday. We got a lot of really practical things done, and we increased our list of doing practical things. I think that list will never end, uh, but that's okay. We're, that's we're in for the long haul. Um, so thank you for coming. Uh, it, you know, this is our place of worship, and we really want to take care of it as best we can with what we have. So I want to encourage you to come out for the next meeting and, and be a part. We'd love to have you guys there. Let's pray for the offering. Let me get my book. Thank you. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Thank you.
Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks to Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you have called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise. fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread and he gave you thanks. He broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was entered, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us, therefore, proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love, together with our patriarch, Craig, our bishop, Douglas, and with all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Connie, Susan, Carl, Serena, Naomi, Nadia, Kyle. Sonia, Maria, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Kyla, Melvin, Gavin, Jean, Sandra, Mark and Diane, Raul, Mario, Patrick, Tyler, Karen, Zach, the Marines and Sailors of Camp Pendleton and all those who serve. Other names may be added. 
draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, the martyrs with St. Michael, and all thy saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we had the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. O Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. O Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his supper.
graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you have fed us with the spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. As you go out from this place, always remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. God loves us. God has forgiven us. God's not mad at us. God will never leave us or forsake us. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen.